From the heart of Etobicoke, Canada, live from the broadcast center of the Humble and Fred Studios, it is another episode of Swing Thoughts. My name's Humble Howard, along with the uh, coach of the Guelph Griffins University golf team, <laughs> which is for a second, forgot what they did. And they're from Guelph. Ah, they are. From Guelph. Tim O'Connor. Uh, not only the uh, Griffins coach. I saw... Congratulations, by the way. Thank you. Here's what I'm congratulating Tim on. Uh, by the way, this program brought to you by TaylorMade, number one driver in golf, Glenn Karen, Blue Springs, blah, blah, Club Link. On Tim's Facebook page, at the end of the season, you posted a little note about what a, a great experience it was. But what I loved is the comments from your players. Ah. And you, young man, you child of God, should feel warm. <laughs> the cuckles, the cuckles? <laughs> cuckles, cockles of your heart. Oh, yes. Should be uh, swollen. You should have swollen cuckles. I said pardon? <laughs> um, yeah, there were some nice comments. Well done. Thanks. Yeah, it was great season. Um I'm really glad it's over, quite frankly. It was a lot of golf, uh, a lot of administration, a lot of stuff to do in about seven weeks. Uh, but mixed feelings because uh, what a great group of, uh, of young people to hang around with. I mean, it was just a great team and uh, also fun to hang out with young golf nerds. I mean, they are so invested, obsessed with this game, you know, on a par just like you and I. So, mm-hmm. so really fun. Um, but, you know, a great group of, of young people to hang with. Uh, I'm doing this from memory, but there were several comments in Tim's Facebook post or commenting on the post saying this was their one of their favorite seasons ever the best golf they played they learned the most it was really really rich stuff and what i loved about it well is that it you know you're not a golf teacher you're not a swing instructor instructor (laughs) that's um or speech therapist yeah you're not a swing instructor but you you gave them something with a little more than ingenuity and, and uh, inspiration and it they really it seemed to resonate with them the message that mindfulness is part of the pathway to enjoying the game and also getting better at it yeah well it was a fun season because it uh, in many ways it helped to um, fortify I don't know that's the right word uh, I think that's what you do with a healthy breakfast but um, it helped me to see that the foundational approach I've taken in my coaching largely um, I think you can have some success with it. And Mm -hmm. it's largely around like you said, mindfulness, uh, awareness, uh, just being aware of what's happening and just so that they can approach things and catch when they catch themselves say in a place of like real judgment or you know that spiral vortex of of thoughts and all that stuff or I'm or, sorry a spiral vortex I'm not quite familiar with what you're saying or before you get the helicoptering which yeah is... before you start throwing clubs again by the way I've only <laughs> threw the one just the one club it was good it released a lot of anger yeah. but your players seem to have really benefited from your expertise and I was really happy for you I, thanks I, you know, I was going to say I was proud of you but that's not that doesn't really sum it up I was just really happy and especially reading the comments the heartfelt comments from your team mm-hmm. says a lot about you Oh, that's nice. Thanks. Yeah. No, I, I love working with them, and uh, it's it's really rewarding to work with them, not only when there's a lot of joy. And our team did really well. Our men uh, medaled. They give out uh, medals for gold, uh, silver, bronze. And we medaled five out of seven tournaments. We did really well. Over the season, our men finished third below Western, which ran away with it, and we can get into that a little yeah, bit Yeah, we'll later. get into that. And our women did really well. They they won, you know, gold to bronze as well as individuals. Nice. Uh, but also, you know, a lot of times there's a lot of frustration. You know, when you're looking in the face of some young man who's got really angry red eyes or very sad about what went on because it's a team game. It's That's one of the things that's really cool about coaching a university golf team is that this individual game becomes a team game. And the things that they feel and all that become that much more um, 
Oh, it's much more deep because because it's not only say if you have a good game going and it goes into the dumper, you feel like you've not only let yourself down, but you let your team down. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot more thinking and feeling about what goes on there. So so to be able to hold space for them and just hear what they're saying, um, I really enjoyed that because there's a lot of gifts you can get out of you know the pain mm-hmm. uh, of things that go on. And, and the pain that they felt was very... Uh, very real to them. Which I think is why they benefited from a coach like you that is, you know, not talking about, you know, downward pressure and inside your right foot and you know, all that. You're talking about, you're holding space for them in a way that is uh, of benefit. And probably maybe they haven't been as exposed to that kind of golf teaching, feeling. Maybe, you know, it's, it might be the first time they've ever considered that. And it's certain, they certainly benefited from it, is yeah, what I'm trying well, to that, say. You know, that's great. And um, I think most of them really did resonate with them. We had some fun. I mean, from the start, um, I had, before we started, we always had team meetings before ever, you know, go out on the practice green or the range. And we'd always have a team meeting. We'd start with um, something like a, like meditation. Where we'd get them, you know, feet on the floor, hands in their lap, eyes closed, focus on breathing, and to, um, you know, so they become really present. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot of like, you know, focus on breath type of thing. And so that when the thought would intrude, bring the focus back to to breath, which is, which is basically, you know, a key, one of many different meditation techniques. But again, it's a core skill of awareness. So they would be aware of like, you know, to be present in the room. And I wasn't sure whether some of them were digging it, where they thought it was really weird or, 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 or whatever, but it seemed to work for most of them. They really enjoyed it and they'd never done it before. And it's a great thing to do before a round of golf. If you think about it, because the, the problems in the game mentally for most people is they can't stay where they are. They're in the past and they're in the future. And as one of our guests, I can't remember if, if it was Joe Parent who gave us this idea that breath gives you, because your body can only be in the present. And breathing gives you your brain a, a bit of a break. It's like, oh, yeah, we're here. Yep. We're standing here. I've got this shot. I'm in this situation. I need to solve this now, not I'm five over and I've only played three holes. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're going to have uh, quite an interesting conversation here because Tim was coaching, for you people that are not, are not quite as familiar, Tim coaches a team, a university team in the Ontario University Association, OUA, and uh, our guest this morning, today, or whenever you download this program, <laughs> is the individual champion of the OUA University Games. He has been uh, a student athlete for a long time. He's a PhD candidate in sports psychology. And uh, for the sec- I think he won that OUA thing for the second time. Had quite a summer, this uh, gentleman. Finished fifth at the uh, National Mid-Am. He uh, was a uh, top finisher in uh, several big invitationals. He won the Glen Karen Invitational. But I would say his greatest achievement was finishing 25th in the Ontario Better Ball with his little Hebrew friend, Howie. (laughs) Say hello to uh, my golf buddy and our friend, Charles Fitzsimmons, everybody. Charles! Morning, guys. What, what, where did we finish in the better ball? Where did we? I don't know. There was 27 <laughs> teams. I figure we weren't last. No, we definitely beat a couple of them. Yeah, we did. Hey, didn't you also win the Willie Park? The Willie Park, the early bird. Yeah, there. Oh, I'm sorry, I, I forgot. Yeah, but, uh, whoa. Charles won the early bird in St. Thomas. He won the Willie Park, which is a historic. Tournament and the early bird too. I mean, you look at that leaderboard. Yeah, Mo Norman, Gary Cowan. Wow, some of the that's very cool. You get your your name on that, man. It it was uh, it's something that I've I've dreamed about for a long time, and that's so I came cool. very close. You know, a number of years ago, I think it was two thousand and eight, uh, lost in a playoff, and so to to finally kind of get over that hump and 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 you know have that dream realized was was very special. Yeah, um, no, that was. That's very cool. Very, very cool. So, my, my dad played in that. <laughs> are you trying to say that the t- finish, nineteenth place finish at the <laughs> the better ball <clears throat> with me wasn't a, hi- a highlight? Of course it was, Howard, but for a different reason. Yeah, we had a good time actually. Uh, so Charles and I, uh, again, full disclosure, you know, he's a golf buddy. We went to Regina together. We were roommates for the week, and uh, a lot of the stories that I've told about being in the mid am or being 
playing tournament golf. I've played uh, some of that with Charles, and we, you know, we obviously as friends talk a lot about this side of the game. But just give people a sense of what it is you're studying and how it applies to golf. Well, I mean, realistically, I'm studying uh, golf psychology um, and and the applied use of of sports psychology into uh, helping golfers and and other athletes from a range of sports to use their minds to perform more effectively uh, as well as enjoying their sporting endeavors more and and being better able to deal with kind of the ups and downs that are inherent in sport. So it's more fun, more satisfaction, more enjoyment, more performance. You know, it's fascinating about knowing you, and and it's sort of similar with Tim, because I also play golf with Tim, and it's, you know, people, it's that whole thing, you know, physician, heal thyself. Mm. How is it that you're, you know, you know, Charles is a high, high level elite golfer, and yet you also spend your days working with people like me and other other golfers and, and students and players. And so when you're in situations, I don't know if I've ever asked you this, like how do you, you obviously have moments of, like everyone else in a golf course, is it hard sometimes to, because you know so much about the mental performance side, <clears throat> pardon me, to, to push that aside and just be a guy playing the game? It definitely, uh, it definitely was a challenge um, a couple of years ago where I really started to uh, do a lot of work in sports psychology and really had a lot of different thoughts going around about you know, how to apply it and how to work with my clients through those kinds of, uh, of challenges. And, and so there were points where I was definitely overthinking things on the golf course from a, a sports psychology perspective and, and uh, uh, being challenged because of that or being distracted because of that. So that, that definitely was a challenge. But as I've um, you know, I'm really lucky that I get to, to play a game that I love and, and work with great athletes in a game that I love, and, and that makes it a lot easier to just go through and, and uh, find out a way to just simplify things back to what it takes to play your best. And uh, as I work with more and more golfers and more and more elite golfers, they, uh, just like yourself, Howard, uh, they tend to inspire me to, to, to look at ways to, to play better, and, and uh, as I've gotten more... Uh, I don't want to say comfortable, but I guess more understanding. I've, I've, I've worked around some of those challenges of, of overthinking because of the, the knowledge that I have in the sport and just getting back to, to just kind of playing uh, playing the game. And, and a big part of that just comes through the, you know, the really simple exercise of, of goal setting. Yeah, that's really interesting that you mentioned that piece around the, the – um, that in fact all the stuff that you know you were trying – you were applying, in fact trying – like I found that in myself a lot that that I would go into a game in my earnest way that I do that I'd go oh I'm going to focus on this today and and I would actually be getting in my own way by 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 trying to do these things it's kind of like the irony of it as opposed to just going out and play and having fun yep yeah it definitely uh you know when you get too much going on in there uh it, it definitely tends to distract and and one of the things that it does is it it's you know, and we can talk about this a little bit later too. Is that it can also inhibit um, some of the thoughts of getting in the zone because you're so self-focused and so yeah. uh, trying to to deal with some of the skills that you're working on. So um, yeah, it can definitely uh, be distracting from just going out there and, and playing. And one of the things that was fun about what so you uh, you play for Western, and so I got to see you play a lot of golf uh, at the OUA Championships uh, in in Ottawa. What was interesting to uh, to observe was that you um, you have your moments just like everybody else, where you hit a shot and there'll be some little utterance, whether it be suitable for family listening or not. Uh, you know, but you quickly get over it. But I, I say you. You look like any other golfer out there, although you seem to – I was mentioning to Howard, I like the way you kind of amble to the ball. You kind of like ease into <laughs> it. There's like a, a – kind of like this nonchalance that I like. But but as I said, you react like any other golfer, but I, I have to think that you just maybe get over it a little quicker. Yeah, I mean, and that's one of the things uh, – obviously, we're, we're trying to understand and control reactions to shots because that has an effect on, on the way you remember it. But at the same time, you know <laughs> – I'm a human just like everybody else, and as a human, uh, whether it's good or not, and I'm, I say that sarcastically because, of course, it's good. Uh, <laughs> I, have emo- I, I have emotions, and, uh, you know, emotions in a split second can be very difficult to, uh, to control, and, and 
um, that's okay. And, and so being okay with that is what helps me to get over them quicker because what's most important from that is that I find a way back to my peak performance zone or what I call my peak performance recipe for that time to hit that next shot. And, and I think what I've gotten really good at is being able to accept a shot uh, once it's happened, even if I had a little bit of a, uh emotional moment afterwards and uh, to kind of reset and, and get back into that, that right headspace for that next one. That's definitely been something that uh, I've gotten a lot better at over the years. And and let, let's just pause for a second and put a pin in this as one of the first takeaway moments from today's show. If anyone listening to our podcast for the last 50 episodes thinks that this is about you becoming almost, you know, uh, Vishna-like, where yeah, you're yeah. going to have nothing but a spiritual reaction to things. It's not about that. What Charles said, and it's what's worked for me uh, for the last two years now, especially this year, is you can have an... Re- it's, it's not about not having reactions. It's about how you react to that reaction and how long it takes you to get into the place where you are going to have to hit this next shot. And, and I've, you know, I've not only played with Charles, but seen him play as well. And, and you observe that there's a certain, I like that you said, he ambles from shot to shot because he's a giant man. He, he, has, no, <laughs> he, he has no other mode of transportation. When we're walking, I'm my little baby, st- my little old man stuff. I'm like, Charles is like, boom, boom. But the fact is, that is... There's a rhythm to how Charles plays golf, and one of the things that I, I want Charles to talk a little bit about, and this is another goofy thing, but your song of the day. Ah. Yes, yes, I had, I had two different songs of the day for the OUA championship, um, but what, one, of, one of the big things I find helps me with my, my mindfulness and my awareness and stuff like that, um, because I find it difficult uh, when between shots, for example, to just purely focus on breath, because... You know, you're walking, and, and if you're kind of slowing down your breathing too much, then it, it kind of messes with that walk. So one of the things that I really like to do is, is just have a song stuck in my head that uh, I can go back to when my mind starts to wander and when it starts to go into the future or the past and, and uh, you know, starts wondering where I am in the tournament and all that kind of stuff. When I can just kind of, when I, when I sense those thoughts or become aware of those thoughts, just the way Tim was talking about at the beginning, uh, I can go right back to that song and... and uh, uh, and just kind of really focus in on it. And, and it has a number of positive effects. Not only does it help me control my thoughts, but usually the, the songs have a very great rhythm to them that keep me in a nice, slow, even pace. But they also usually have an emotional uh, component to them where it kind of puts a smile on my face. So it's just this, this easy kind of check-back way for me to get back to a, a really good neutral space with a good rhythm, with a smile on my face, and, and you know, focusing on the right kinds of thoughts. So I would suggest it's not uh, death metal or <laughs> or, or polka yeah. music you're listening to? No, certainly not. Uh, it, does, it does range a little bit, but uh, for the most part, they're, uh, you know, upbeat songs that uh, at least have a ha- happy resonance with myself. You know, yeah, I'm, I'm fond of... Uh, perfectly. Yeah, I'm fond of uh, reggae music, Bob Miley. Yeah, this is yeah. what Tim... See, here's what... This is what Tim has playing. He's a little bit of like... No, actually, this is, this is more like Tim's. This is Tim's. Evan Tim going to be all right, oh, right? Yeah, man. yeah, exactly. You know, or that could be Charles. Mine's like Screamo. Just nothing with... Ah! <laughs> so, but it's an int- there's there's takeaway number two now the Charles uh, song, song of the day, of the day now it changes it's not always the same song but no, having now experienced pardon me it specifically needs to change yes mm-hmm. I was going to say having experienced this uh, not only the week of the midam but in subsequent times song of the day for the week of the midam I like it yeah is it, it when I have that song in my head that I come back to between shots. Even when I do it subconsciously, I'm sort of going like, you know, there's that little tune again. As you say, it just kind of, it's almost like this internal soundtrack that's keeping you ambling between shots. It's more of a, a pacing thing. And I would suggest yeah. a degree of perspective and, and lightness and yeah. to, you know, to this very serious game in which we grind and that type of thing. Yeah, I, I, like I said, I, I really try and separate the game in kind of into two two win- time windows. You know, there's the, the time when you're trying to hit shots and trying to figure out what it takes to hit a great shot, and then the time in between shots where, you know, that's really the big challenge. You know, theoretically, you have three or four hours 
so you're out there between shots and and that's when your mind can really get off track and and so finding ways to um keep in the right state of mind during that the, that period i think is, is really important and and so this is one way that i've found to really uh, keep myself centered in that time and, and having fun yeah that's so cool because um i, I remember carl morris uh the european uh uh, golf coach and he always talked about it between golf and he said people never knew what he was talking about but he said it's the most important time because that is yep. as you said we have most of the time is between the shots so how yep. are we spending our time and, and a lot of it is people will hit a shot and say it's a not a great one and they're going to get to the next shot and they all they've been thinking about is is that and you know the vortex and all of that type of thing so yeah exactly you know, there's this game is difficult. This is not an easy game, but it is a, a game filled with challenge and joy. And, and you know, one of the things I think that golfers do instinctively, and I'd like to, I don't know how you would, how you two would uh, quantify this or what your description of this would be, but it's those moments after a shot where golfers feel, and we all have done this, the need to explain huh. to each other what just went on. Now, some guys do it to the point where you don't want to play with them anymore. We all play with people that it's like all their entire in-between shots, their in-between golf is all the story. And they start creating that story from the first shot to the last one. And I've found myself lately when I go to explain why that shot just happened, I sort of, I've tried to stop and go, it just, it's, it's the more energy I give that, the less I'm able to leave it behind. Oh. That's you. You've got it. To me, if I've hit a shot and I didn't really like it, if I start explaining it, it's like I'm feeding the ox, the fire, some oxygen. Right. I wanted to just deprive it, let it go, be done, done with it. And I always find that that explaining things, that's someone just rationalizing. They're going like, "Oh, everyone thinks I'm a hack, so I'm going to explain how difficult the shot was, so they all know actually I'm a really good golfer." But the lie was tough. Charles, what do you think of that? Yeah, I mean, obviously the rationalization is a, is a big part of. Uh, of how people are trying to cope with things. One of the things from a, a sports psych perspective that I really love to hear in those stories uh, is the attributions. What what caused the issue? And uh, what you find is that uh, some people are, are good at saying, oh, well, maybe it was this that I did or this, and other people you know, blame it on random factors outside their control and, and how people attribute shots or what they attribute shots to uh, is, a, is a big part of, of the psychology. But it's always funny to uh, to hear those different thoughts afterwards and, and how they then impact them moving forward. Well, I mean, you know, the, the one that always comes up for me, and it's happened recently where, you know, I, the greens are a little bit scrappy around this time of the year, and I've had a couple of rounds where you know, I played pretty well, but I three-putted a couple of times, and I found myself keeping track of the number <laughs> of times I three-putted that day. And at some point I went, how is that serving you? Yeah. So, and part of it is to, just as Tim said, I want the other players I'm playing with to know, oh, normally I'm a great putter, but these <laughs> greens are causing me no end of grief. You know what I mean? And it's, how can you expect me to put on these? Exactly. And really in the end, it's like, who cares? It's like, well, you know, some days those putts go in and some days they don't. One of the things I want Charles to uh, talk a little bit about, which I, one of the Charles-ism, Charles-isms that I love is uh, talk a little bit about the notion of just the randomness of the game. And the way Charles put it to me was, you know, the, the piece about if you're, whatever your average score is, let's take somebody who shoots 80 or 85. Talk about how on either side of that number is just randomness. Yeah, one of the big things that I come back to is is this kind of equation that determines where a golf ball goes. And I remember reading it in one of the one of the books I was looking through for my master's, and, and it just talks about there there are all these factors that you know there's basically a giant physics equation that determines where the golf ball goes, and and there are you know some large number of variables that go into it, and we can only control a couple of them. And so there are a number of variables that are sources of error, just things we can't control that are just cause. Uh, you know, golf to be as challenging as it is. And by the way, my number one rule is golf is hard. And that's a great way to come back to uh, help yourself through some bad shots sometimes. But yeah, th that variableness uh, plays in in ways that you can't really think about. And, and so the, the, the thought experiment that I ask players to go through is, is thinking about if a robot went out there and played. You know, if a robot went out there and played, would it shoot the same score every day? And, and the conclusion is always 
well, no. I mean, it would have different wind. It would have different bounces. It has all these different variables. And, and players will then come up with a range and say, okay, maybe the robot's supposed to shoot 72, but because of different bounces, some days it'll shoot 69, some days it'll shoot 75. So we come up with this little kind of variable range around the, the, the average. And, you know, the reality is, is that's a robot. They, they don't have any of the psychological variables that we're talking about with humans. They don't have any of the physiological variables that we're talking about with humans. And, and so when you apply that to your own game, what you see is that around your scoring average, there's a range that is basically just going to occur by chance and, and that you can do everything you can control and that scores within that range are just going to happen based on, on chance and, and the, the difficulties of the game. Yeah, what, what I love about that is the, the notion of there's a lot in this game that we can influence, but we don't control. Mm-hmm. And one of those things is score because you just, you just can't control it. You just don't know if uh, some wind's going to come up as your ball's in mid-flight or I love someone said, oh, a worm could pop his head up and knock your, <laughs> knock your ball off line. But it is, you don't have control of it. And so many golfers, that's where they go. I, I shot this today, but I should have been, you know, 38 on the front rather than 41. And really, you just don't control that. On either, sky, on either side of anyone's score, whether it's 72 or 85, you know, if you're an 85 shooter, there's going to be some number of times around where the ball is either going to lip in or lip out. There's going to be uh, something on the terrain that, you know, kicks it into the rough versus not. And one of the things I love about that notion of Charles is that it's made me calm down a little bit, too, around, you know, the, some days that score, you know, you, you forget the times. Some funny thing about luck. Mm. We always focus on when luck went bad. But what about those times? And it happens to all of us where the ball kicked into the fairway from a, you know, a shot you know wasn't that good. But it ended up okay. What's that phrase? It's a good, bad shot? Happens to all of us, but oh, for yeah. some reason, we don't think about that as much as we give the energy. I'm just talking about myself. You know, yeah. oh, you're covering I, a lot of people, though. You give the energy of the bad shots and the bad breaks, and yet you forget that, oh, yeah, on the front nine, man, I almost hit that OB, but it kicked in. Yeah, it's, it's a very important thing, I think, to, to keep mindful of, right, is, is that you get bounces both ways, and, and uh, that's part of the game. And, then again, it can help you to deal with those bounces, uh, especially when they go against you. Yeah, the acceptance detachment piece. We talk about that yeah. a lot. One of the things I wanted to ask you, Charles, is that, you know, you've, you've had a, a great year. You've won a number of good, good tournaments. And I would suggest it's not not just from the fact that you are you know working on your PhD in sports psychology. You've got a lot of experience, but you've got a really good golf swing. So, somewhat selfishly, I wanted to ask as someone who I you know I was Howard talks about him being among the worst in terms of his um, temper, you know, w- working on his temperament. Swing. Yeah, and would come from that perfectionist. Oh part yeah, of it. from uh, practicing and hitting balls. Yeah, I was like that. Too. For years and years, I just thought the more information I have, the better I will naturally get. And that sure didn't happen. <laughs> but how did, you, how did you come to really develop your, your motion and your ability to repeat and, and, and that? How do you, you know, keep that maintenance going so that when things aren't going so swell, how you kind of right the ship? Yeah, it's an interesting question. And, you know, um, I guess the, the light bulb moment for me uh, I mean, first of all, let me say this. I, I was really fortunate to spend a lot of years working with great coaches who, who gave me great insights into the swing in terms of, you know, all that classic technical information and, and built a really great uh, technical foundation to my to my swing. Um, so I, I think I need to start with that. But the, the, the real light bulb moment was uh, hearing a speech at the World Scientific Congress of Golf, I think, in 2012, uh, from Gabrielle Wolf, who you guys have had on the the show before, I believe, correct? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it was really her her talk and this idea of, of really focusing externally and and uh, especially under pressure. You know, there, there's one thing where you can focus internally a little bit from time to time, especially if you're trying to make a swing trade or something like that. But on, on some level, really trying to just purely focus on what's happening in front of you. What what is the ball flight doing? And then just letting your body work out what it needs to do to make something else happen. And so just going on the range and just saying, I'm not going to try and think about it. I'm just going to try and hit a draw here. I'm just going to try and hit a fade here. Or I'm just going to try and hit it straight. 
and, and being comfortable in knowing that on some level your body knows how to do that and you don't really need to think about it consciously. You just need to tell it that that's what you want to happen and it will work on making that happen. So for me, the, the biggest thing that has allowed me to kind of, uh, I guess, play well and, and play well, especially under pressure, is just really focusing on that external uh, shot process of just saying, okay, well, this is the shot I'm trying to hit here and, and this is where I'm trying to hit it. Let's go. Yeah, I love it. And, and it. And doing that, uh, you know, just gets all that other thought out of the way in terms of all those uh, conscious internal pieces. You know, I got to move my hand here or I got to stop at this point on the top, which is really just interfering with your, your motor patterns that you, you've worked for hours and hours to train. You know, we need to, we need to get back to trusting our bodies and, and playing golf like athletes just because we have the time to think about you know what we should be doing in terms of technical swing thoughts uh doesn't mean we need to do that you know you think about all these great other sports like a you know an outfielder in baseball and and their, their ability to you know catch the ball on the run and turn and throw an absolute strike to third base is you know amazing or a hockey player's ability to to take a high-speed pass and shoot a one-timer into the top corner and there's no way they're thinking consciously about, oh, my arm needs to be here and I need to rotate this way and this is how I need to finish to make that happen. You know, it's just, it's not possible. And, and so the challenge in golf is that we have the time to think about those kind of things. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean we should think about them. Well, and it's interesting that Tim asked you that question because I almost asked you that question word for word a couple months ago because I spent some time, you know, as I said, in competition with Charles. We were hanging out at different tournaments. And I said to him one night, we were just hanging out. I said, you know how come you're able to bring your best golf or better golf in these situations than I am? Because we play practice rounds together and, you know, we're fairly similar. I mean, I'm not, I'm not as good as Charles, but it's not way off. And yet under pressure, he's way better than me. And, and your answer is similar to Tim's um, piece about, you know, slightly less caring. And, and explain that, what you told me that day about when you're over a shot, you basically say... Well, am I okay with wherever this is going to go? Yeah, it, it's the pairing of that external focus with this concept that I like to talk to about as, as pre-acceptance. You know, we right, talked earlier yeah. about accepting a shot uh, after it's happened. But uh, I, I just remember there's a quote from Tiger Woods when he was playing his best in the early 2000s, and he said something along the lines of, listen, before I every, hit every shot, any shot, I know that there's the possibility that I could fire it into the woods, and, and I'm okay with that. And it, it brought me back to this paradox in golf, which is, you know, if you're worried about where the shot's going to go, mm-hmm. you're going to be tight, you're going to be tentative, and there's no way you're going to make a good sh- sh- swing, and therefore they're going to hit that bad shot that you were worried about. Mm-hmm. And and so the opposite of that is you have to be okay with the possibility of hitting a bad shot in order to be relaxed enough to hit a good shot. And and we spoke about that, I should say. I, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I hope I gave you credit, because I came back from the uh, senior am, and you swing thought kids well remember I, I said that that one of the things I really got out of this week as I'd spoken to you was I was getting very good at accepting poor shots but we spoke that week and you said yeah fine but you're you're good at that now but you're still a little bit you know you haven't gone to the transcendent stage of pre-acceptance <laughs> and that's a whole different world but you know you you got to be okay with and you said that to me you said Howard you have proven that you're okay with hitting bad shots because I think I had uh that was after the round that I was like a couple under on the last six holes just to make the cut. So I was cool hitting it in the trees because I was doing it all day. Yeah. But the step beyond that is, and that's what Charles is very good at. You just There's a feeling when I watch you hit a ball that you are absolutely cool if you fire it into the trees. And, and that makes me so much less likely to hit it into the trees. Yes, absolutely. That's what, yeah, go yeah. ahead. I was just going to say, it goes back to this this concept of really trying to mirror your training in your competition, and, and uh, that is a fundamental concept. And if you think about it, when you're on the driving range, you know, you're not worried about hitting in the woods because there are no woods. And and so the the idea of pre-acceptance is, is quite easy on the driving range because there aren't consequences. And, and so uh, you're able to swing in a very relaxed uh, mindset and, and physiological state and so finding ways to transfer that on the golf course is going to mean that all the practice hours you put in on the, the, the driving range are going to transfer over and, and be really applicable when you're out there competing. 
Yeah. One of the things that we did as a, as a team uh, with the University of Guelph team, we did this thing um, in which before pretty well every tournament, we would, as a team, put our hands together, you know, instead of saying, you know, go Griffs or something, we would go in unison, I slightly don't care. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, everyone would have a good laugh because it was kind of fun to say it. But yep. they also saw the degree of wisdom that was in it. Because the problem in golf is not that we don't care. The problem generally in many of the things in which we screw up is that we care too much. Yeah. And it's like you were saying about if you pre-accept that you can hit this anywhere and be okay with it, mm-hmm. imagine how much less tense you would be, how much more relaxed you'd be able to, that much more fluid if whatever happens, you're going to be okay with it. And it's just like the focus on process rather than result. Well, the bonus is, is that the results are usually pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, that that definitely helps with with going back into that I, that I don't care attitude is is the the fact that when you do that you actually tend to play a lot better. So there's, I guess there's, um, there's two kind of thoughts that I'll I'll give on that if I may. You may. Um, the uh, the first one is, um, you know, a lot of my athletes have gone to that I don't care attitude kind of thing. It's just going to hit it and find out and see what happens. The challenge that we have that I have found is that. When it really push comes to shove, uh, at the end of a tournament, finding a way to not care is a lot more difficult. Because at some point you're going to find and come up with a tee shot where you go, "Okay, now I'm leading a golf tournament and I've got to hit a shot on the 18th hole, and there's hazards here and bad kind of stuff here." I actually do care where this goes, and and so finding that balance or finding that way to maintain that I don't care or that accepting attitude in those moments is is definitely a a new major challenge, um, and, and for for everyone. And so, I guess the the second part I was going to say is that was a, a personal example was at the OUA Championships. Um, you know, in the, the beginning of the the round, I was I was playing solidly, but maybe a little bit tense and a little bit, uh, you know, knowing that I was probably leading the golf tournament, being very close to it, and, and so finding ways to just kind of get in that acceptance, and then. Uh, somewhere somewhere late in the front nine and kind of early in the back nine, I just remember this kind of calm coming over where I really just said, you know what, whatever's going to happen, it's going to happen. I'm, I'm, I'm totally okay with that. I'm just going to go out here and, and hit good golf shots, and, and at the end of the day, uh, that's fine, uh, whatever happens. So it, it just kind of – it wasn't that I didn't care. It was more just that I had accepted that, uh, you know, that there were multiple possibilities that were going to occur, and that I was just going to – enjoy the journey and, and try and play my best and, and uh, you know, whatever happened, happened, and I was okay with that. And, and that just gave me this, this ultimate calm uh, in the back nine, and I just remember that being a really, really cool feeling. Well, that was cool to watch. I could You were handling yourself really well. I, I watched it. But all around you, man, <laughs> there was a lot of chaos. <clears throat> in fact, I uh, posted a blog today about it. Uh, yeah. Was that – and it's really interesting because you're – yeah, you're you're older than a lot of these players. How old are you, man? Char- Charles is going to be fifty on his next birthday. Um, <laughs> I've been fifty every birthday. <laughs> That's yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. He's so, an old soul, is yeah, what he is. Yeah. So, how old are you? I'm thirty. I'm thirty. You're, you're thirty. Okay. So, a lot of these people yeah. you're playing with range in age from say eighteen at the earliest to maybe twenty two, twenty three. Yeah. And um, wow, I mean, these are young people, and under yeah. the pressure of that tournament, I watched some wild stuff. Um, I watched one kid, uh, he hit his uh, drive into the woods and then went looking for it. And then, you know, after the five minutes, um, and then uh, he hit his provisional into a bunker. I think you were playing with him. Yes, you were. Um, He rammed his head into a fence rail. I'm sorry? He rammed his head. He was beside a a farmer's field or something. And he rammed his head? Yeah, he was so... Enraged, he rammed his head into into. The, I'm lucky he didn't draw blood. Now, may I, as the only person of the three of us that's ever been close to that, <laughs> even I haven't done. I respect that because I never. Listen, I've thought of punching myself in the face, but ramming. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but yeah. Ramming. So you saw him do that? I did. It was like wow. And what'd you say? Hey, don't do that. I that's- just looked at. I looked at the. I looked at my player who was in the group, and I just I just put my, my I put a hand against my face, and then made him like look away, look away, look away. <laughs> but it's wild how I mean, and it's not just young people, man. I mean, I don't want people to get the um, no, it's every golfer, every golfer, absolutely. And people just 
they get so caught up, and that's when you are done. Once yeah. it starts to go, the cortisol and everything just goes. And uh, but Charles, what did you think? Did you see the guy ram his <laughs> ram his head into a post? <laughs> I did not. I did not. Uh, either I was uh, not playing with him, or if I was, I was clearly focusing on something else. But uh, it's not surprising. I mean, it's it's like I said, golf is is extremely challenging, and and uh, my number one rule: golf is hard. Uh, but uh, it's it's how you deal with it. That's it's, you know that's the old saying in sports psychology. Right? It's not what what happens, but how you respond. And, how you respond. And, uh, yeah. In, in that moment, clearly, this gentleman had some. <laughs> well, I watched it happen a number of times, and I heard of a player who just who uh, shot didn't come off quite well, so rammed it. The, the iron into a root became uh, suddenly that one piece of iron became two. Oh yeah, <laughs> and into the woods it goes. So to me, it's around. Really, so much of it is it's not simple by any means, but no. it's really just being aware. It's not just a key part of it is being aware when you start to feel these things in your body. How much of that kind of body awareness stuff do you work on? Um, yeah, it's definitely an important part of it. And, and uh, you know, the challenge, the challenge with that is how that potentially could conflict with this idea of trying to be in the zone and, and so one of the one of the concepts of kind of being in the zone is is um, being very present but not being overly self-focused mm-hmm. being much more kind of just in the moment and, and and aware of the things around you and engaged in the the things around you as opposed to that that self-focus so I think it's um, too much of that self-focus will will kind of stop you or inhibit you from going into the zone or pull you out of the zone um, but when things are uh, going poorly, when you're obviously not in the zone to begin with, I think that kind of awareness is, is critical to at least getting you back moving in the right direction towards trying to get into that zone. Um, speaking of the zone, and we'll uh, start to wrap things up a little bit. We've got about 20 minutes left in this uh, fantastic episode of Swing Thoughts. Um, so we're in uh, Regina. Car uh, Charles in the first day shot, uh, what did you shoot, 67 or 66? 66, yeah. 66. There's a bogey-free 66, too. Wow, nice. You know, so uh, we're roommates, so I come back to the, after my round, my 79. I think I was 79. <laughs> uh, but I played nicely for nine holes, and then uh, Charles was uh, 66, but we're still hanging out. We're buddies. And uh, the next day, I can't remember, you were early, late. We had opposite tee times. So yeah. Charles, I think you were done by the time I finished nine holes. Yeah, even before that, I had yeah. lunch and everything by then. So I'm, uh, I gotta, I gotta go out the second day, knowing that I, somewhere in my mind, I didn't know the number, but I knew I needed to be around par or there, you know, thereabouts. And as we spoke about on uh, our episode of Swing Thoughts in the summer, after I came back, I, I finished nine holes, and for that nine holes, I was even par, and it couldn't have been easier. I was, I was, I had. Eight greens of regulation, made one bogey, one birdie, and I shot 36 in a national championship. And I was just feeling it. And I was kind of going along, and as I described on the show, and as, as I described to Charles, it was as though I just had this rhythm. Everything was just happening at a very methodical pace. I saw the shot, pulled the club, made the decision, hit the ball, made the putt, moved on to the next hole. And then at uh, the ninth hole... <laughs> I see Charles, and as I described it for you guys our age that know that uh, movie with Richard Dreyfuss and, and Bill Murray called What About Bob? There's a scene where Bill Murray, who's a patient of this psychologist, he straps himself, he straps himself around the mast of a boat because he's afraid of water, and he goes flying by this guy's cottage. He goes, look, I'm sailing. <laughs> and it's kind of like that moment. I saw Charles, and I... And I I was approaching the ninth green. It's a par five, and I, I sort of saw him in my peripheral, and I had about a 35-foot putt, and I cozied up there to putt for 36. But I knew he was there, but I was able to kind of go through my routine and my process. And and you were trying not to engage with me, but I was so excited to see you. I was like, Charles! He's like, how's it going? I go, I'm playing great! And he's like, and Charles was trying to go, don't talk to me! <laughs> and, uh, and I was like, uh, so... A part of it was to see my buddy, and I was part of it as excited about it. I knew I was playing well, and I was in the zone. And then as, as this is the takeaway uh, that I, wanna, I want people to understand is that just as I got myself into it, seeing Charles and then 
getting very uh, into the results I had just done took me out of it. And in a really weird way, Charles walked with me from the ninth green. I uh, went and got a water and go to the 10th tee. And I was just kind of in, I don't know what happened. I mean, this is, you pick up the story. What did you observe? Yeah, it, it um, I think it goes back to what we were talking earlier about. It was that kind of, uh, that self-realization. And again, that focus on, on score and outcome and how you're feeling and how you're doing as opposed to just playing. You know, there's something about the zone when you, when you read research on it, um, it, it seems to be this kind of, this, the state of just pure play. You're purely just hitting shots. You're not thinking about yourself. You're not thinking the future. You're not thinking about the past. You're just hitting a shot, kind of walking, you know, being present in the, in the, the wonderful piece of nature that we, we call a golf course and, and then just going on and hitting an next shot and just kind of repeating that again and again and again. And, and I think that moment that we had between the, the ninth and the 10th tee, you know, really kind of snapped your brain out of just saying, okay, I'm just going to play and hit another shot and enjoy this. So all of a sudden, oh my God, I'm playing really well. I might actually make this happen in terms of shooting even par. I might actually make the cut. I, you know, I'm doing this, this really cool stuff in a national championship. And all those kinds of realizations immediately just snap you out of that, that state of pure play and, and take you back into that state of, of, of outcome and, and, you know, possibility. Did you notice anything? Like, you watched me walk up to that green, and then you watched me hit that shot on 10 that I hit out of bounds or into a hazard. Because I went from being even par, hitting every green, every fairway almost, to going bogey, double bogey, quadruple bogey. Yeah. You know, I think with hindsight, you can can say a bunch of things. In in the moment, um, I certainly, uh, I guess I would say I felt your excitement. Uh, between the ninth and the tenth greens, it didn't didn't there wasn't anything obviously different, but I, I certainly could feel that excitement. And, and my guess is, again with hindsight, saying that you didn't have that excitement until that point, and and that uh, excitement of oh my gosh, I'm actually doing it. Uh, I'm I sailing. Probably, I'm sailing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think you actually said that. I'm, I'm sailing a boat today, right? And and uh, that's right. That's what I said. I, I think that uh, that realization or that excitement and everything obviously is going to you know change swing speeds and, and tempo, but also going to then change focus. And, and uh, you know, I thought uh, as soon as I saw hit that tee shot on, on ten, I went, "Oh, <laughs> I got to get out of here." Yeah. No, yeah. it's funny because uh, and it was like the first time. And you're right. I don't. I don't want to belabor this, but it was. Uh, it was like it was like this internal rhythm that I described changed. Yeah, it just yeah. went from being this kind of very methodical feeling to all of a sudden I was back in real time again, and and you know it was a good lesson for me, and I think it's a good takeaway for everyone. Whether you're playing in your club championship or you're having you're having a great round, maybe the best round you've ever had. That as soon as you start to kind of think about out- outcome and results, you're taking yourself out of the process that got you into that zone. To begin with, the one thing I want to finish on, though, is, and, and I love this, that Charles talks a little bit about, you can get yourself into that through a series, through what we're talking about. There is a process by which you give yourself the best chance at playing the best you can while enjoying it the best you can. Yeah. I mean, you know, Jack Nicholas. I think uh, it might have been uh david faraday asking jack about this but he, he i think he asked him or, or some interview asked jack about you know did he get into the zone and, and jack said my my goal was to get into the zone every round and he said i think i got there pretty much every round of my career for for some portion of it you know some rounds it was a hole or two or a shot or two and some it was the whole round and he said uh, my ability to get there and and uh, do that repeatedly for long periods of time was was what really helped me to perform well and and so you're right. There are there are factors that you can control and things, ways of thinking that are going to make it more likely to get there or or less likely to get there. And, and if you can understand those and and work towards uh, that kind of control to to push yourself in that direction as as consistently as possible, then you're going to have the best chance of getting in the zone uh, whenever you can. And obviously, that's probably going to help your performance. Well, I think we should end it there. Charles yeah. Fitzsimmons, the uh, OUA individual champion, uh, friend of the show, buddy of mine, uh, will be part of the graduating class of 2027 at Western. And we 
<laughs> Look forward to being there well, as your surrogate yeah. father now. When do you actually like walk across that stage with your thingy on your head and all of that? Yeah, hopefully, hopefully this year. Um, it, it's going to be a using a walker by the time he gets. <laughs> Yes, exactly. I'm gonna need one of those. I'm gonna, I'm gonna take a golf cart. I think. That's right. Do you think? But, but is this was this it, Charles? Was was this your last OUA, or you still? Um, you know, I, I I say hopefully in the nicest way possible yeah, I because you. I would love to to play forever. But uh, at the same time, yes, I, I uh, I'm, I'm ready to start the next portion of my my life and, and finish my academic yeah. career that way and and uh so one of the challenges has been that my um, my consulting business doing working with athletes teaching them sports psychology has has really uh grown quickly and and nice. taken up a, a large chunk of my time so it's a good uh, a good problem to have but it's, it's delayed my finishing of my dissertation so uh, my supervisor and I are hard at work and trying to get that finished up in the next couple of months and, and uh, get me defended and graduated. So hopefully by the, the end of the winter, I'll be uh, Dr. Fitzsimmons and can, can move on. to this That'd really be cool. That That'd be stuff. cool. A lot of people make jokes of like, you know, the old man and stuff. But uh, Charles, it's great to have you there. People just love, uh, love your spirit and the energy you bring to it. And, uh, you know, you show people that you can play well and have a lot of fun. So, so good well, on you, man. Wait a second. You can play well and have fun? What the hell yeah. have I been doing? Uh, hey, dude. Uh, I'll Thanks talk so much, guys. Hey, thank you so much, yeah, Charles. It's you. been a, a great uh, summer hang with you. Like, It's funny because I knew Charles a little bit, and then I called him up out of the blue last winter, and I said, hey, you want, you want to do this thing together? And uh, it just ended up we spent a lot of time uh, playing with each other. Uh, in a non-physical uh, way, although once in a while. Um, anyway, dude, uh, all the best to you. And uh, for all your um, sports psychology needs, go to the Fitzsimmons Clinic. It's a, uh, it's a digital. How do people get a hold of you is yeah, what I'm trying to what's say. what's your URL and all that good stuff? Yeah, the, the business is called Eclipse Performance, so they can, uh, they can check out the website, eclipseperformance.ca. Um, but they can also just try and track me down through things like LinkedIn and such, but uh, that's, the, that's the big way to get a hold of me, and uh, you know, I, I always love chatting with people, whether they want to ask me a quick question or, or you know, start to work with me professionally that way. I'm, I always just uh, really enjoy chatting with, with athletes from a, a range of sports about sports psychology and, and the thoughts that they have, so it's uh, uh, a wonderful thing that I get to enjoy and do on a daily basis, and I look forward to uh, continuing to do even more of that in the future. All right, kid. All right. Good talking to you. And uh, I'll see you soon. Thanks, man. Thanks, guys. Take care. All right, Bye. pal. Um, He's trying to turn off the phone, people. He's... What was my last spiritual crisis? Was it mid-September when I freaked out and threw that club? Uh, I guess so. They would cover it. I talked to you about it, talked yeah. about it on the show, talked to Charles about it, talked to Doolin. I got a team. <clears throat> and uh, everyone had the same conclusion. I was burned out. Yeah. Part of it, I, and I've thought about it now in hindsight, part of it was after the uh, mid-am in Regina, I went to Moose Jaw and I shot my two lowest rounds of my life. 67. 67 twice. And then I thought, oh, well, I'll just be shooting in the 60s all the time. And then I played like 30 days in a row, and, and everyone had the same opinion, which was, you know, I just got a little bit burned out. And, and I basically, it's funny because the last three or four weeks, um, I haven't played very much. You know, I'm busy and grown up business. And, you know, instead of every day, I've played a few times a week. And lo and behold, um, my, uh, my enjoyment's gone back to where I like it. And my skill level has, uh, you know, I've had some great rounds of golf. Yeah, that's, um, I get but, it. But totally as a result it. of an, of just the weird thing is the lit, and I got to remember this for next year. I'm, I'm old, so remind me. <laughs> the less serious I take it, the better I play. Oh, totally, I completely get it. And I'm a comedian. I don't doesn't sound like it, but I'm a comedian by trade. A funny guy, and yet I'm not often very funny on the golf course. I, I'm taking it way too seriously. And uh, you know, yesterday I played with a friend of ours who's been on the show, Paul Gortner. And uh, Gortner is a high-level player, Charles-level player, and you know we both played nicely yesterday. And uh, you know I think I was seventy-five, but Gortner double bogeyed the last hole to shoot seventy Oof. or seventy-one. I think he was three under, doubles nine or eighteen, whatever it was, and shoots uh, seventy-one. Let's say, and you wouldn't have known if he had shot sixty-one or eighty-one. I get it. He snap hooked his drive. 
It was the ninth hole of Glencairn on Leithfield, but it's our 18th hole of the day. Snap hooks his drive. We both just birdied the 17th hole, and he's now, I figured out later, that put him three under. So he's about to shoot 69. Now remember that because it's significant. Oh. Snap hooks his drive. Like, in, in snap the hooks. In the burn? Left. Or, or, Bare, or we can barely range. find it on the left side. Okay. So nine is that uh, Leith is the one that goes back toward the cloud. It doesn't oh, matter. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he's left. We barely find his ball. He makes double. But it was like, it was just, you'd never know it. Like, he was so, whatever the word I'm looking for, non-plussed, non-perturbed. I was more perturbed for him. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. It was like we both shook hands, had a big hug, and we went, and there was like nothing. You, Yeah, exactly. Well, you want to become a good player, you need to start acting like good players, like Charles, like Paul. Their identity doesn't go up and down with right. what they score. And it's nice to score. I mean, it is nice to win a tournament, but it's, it's not everything in the game. It's not everything in the game. And and they don't fluctuate up and down like most of us do, you know, sp- you know, peaks and valleys. Uh, and people oh, might say, and by me, people might say, oh, it's easy for them because they always, but they don't. And and again, for me, I'm like, you know, I'm a pretty good golfer. You know, my handicap is anywhere between zero and one, maybe one point five. And what I was getting into in September was getting too focused again on, well, I always have to shoot seventy two, or I'm not a good player anymore because now I'm a scratch golfer. And so the last three or four weeks of golf, I, I've, I've gone back to like, okay, well, I'm going to have fun here today, no matter what happens. My golf's gotten better again. My, my, my feeling of joy, I'm making more jokes. I'm having more fun. Me and Gortner, Gortner's one of the silliest people uh, you would ever know. And so is Charles, by the way. You know, I'm not buying any of this bullshit, Charles, about you being all, you know, because Charles is very, very bright, but he's also a silly kid. Um, and I've noticed the sillier I am or funner, I've, funner times I have, it just adds up to a better experience. And sometimes that turns into a low number, and sometimes it doesn't. Yeah. But I find myself energized when I leave the course now, like I did yesterday. And I thought about some good shots I hit, and there was a couple of, you know, like you talk about, I could have easily shot under par. I had three or four really nice putts just miss, like really good. I only made a couple birdies, but I could have made six. But I, I felt good because I was like, yeah, that's what happens. It could have been 82. It could have been 72. Yeah, man, I totally, I totally get with that. So I have played twice in the last six weeks because of university golf mostly. My second last tournament, I just remember I was so happy to play. Mm-hmm. I was almost giddy. Right. And it was like, oh, I'm, I'm going to play golf today. And I was playing with Ronan and Tom. Ronan. <laughs> exactly. There goes it too. Take another drink, folks. Ronan. For your drinking game. Um, Ronan and I are like Seinfeld and Newman. Every time I see him, I want to go, Ronan. Exactly. Anyway, you're playing. I was just, and, you know, we chat. We talk. I mean, and we get silly like you're talking about. Yeah, I love well, that. Well, I had one of my best games of the year being silly and being engaged all the time. But I did start to implode on the back nine when I was aware that I was shooting so well. So I kind of got myself out of it. But it was the same. I played um, fairly recently, last week. Just so happy to be out there. And I wasn't doing my earnest grinder thing, you know, of having something to focus on and all that. Played really well. I mean, it's really about if we can just kind of just have some fun, damn it. It's yeah. just, a, a ra- a, I know, a very radical notion about having fun and playing golf. Let's make that uh, uh, one of our last takeaways, which is I, I've come to believe that if you don't have fun, then you've wasted your day. Yes, it's fun shooting a, a lower number than, say, you know, a special day or whatever. Yeah, it's fun. But I, uh, I've i had a lot more fun. You know, again, I had a great summer. I mean, I I look back at some of the results I had and, and the tournaments I got to play in and the, the, the good play I had under pressure. I learned a lot. But I'll tell you a quick one last little story. So about a week ago, I'm playing a, a club link course called Eagle Ridge. It's, you know, par 71 and playing with uh, another good player, a guy around my age named Paul Henrik, and we're both playing great. You know, we're both under par. I'm a little ahead of him. And, uh, you know, we're having like a fun little, you know, contest. And I birdie the 17th hole. And I go to the 18th tee, and I know I'm going to shoot in the 60s. I'm two under par. All I have to do is par the last hole. 
You know where this is going, don't you? Should we start playing the Jaws music or... <laughs> That's actually good. Or the Funereal you know, March like, or... Um, anyway. It's happy music. <laughs> so I go to I the tea and, and, I, and I... This is sort of like, as I was uh, asking Charles and, and you as well, I know I'm as, I'm as... I'm fairly steeped in this information. You know, I'm, I'm trying to tell myself, okay, as well, you know, like you would say to me, it's fine to have these thoughts. Now let's just go ahead and hit the shot. And I was telling myself that because when I birdied that hole, that put me under par. And, and, to the, and I had that instantly thought like, hey, this is cool. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'm cool. This is cool. Yeah. I'm all cool now. Yeah, I'm going to beat my brother-in-law. I'm going to win this tournament. All that. Yeah, yeah. And I go to the seven. So I birdie 17. And I'm joking with my partner because I'm now two, I'm two under. He's only one under. And uh, so we're waiting to hit. And I'm having all these thoughts about what this means. I'm going to be in the 60s again, blah, blah, blah. And I sort of tried to say, what would Tim say? You'd say, okay, great. Have those thoughts. Let it go. Just see it. Notice it. And I did all my process. I hit an okay tee shot. You know, it's 420 some odd yard uh, hole, but the pin is way, way back. So now it's playing more like 435. So I hit an okay drive and I've got a six iron to the green or something from an okay lie. And I'm, again, having these thoughts, and I'm thinking to myself, you know, middle of the green, that's good. Just Let's not go get too greedy. I don't need to birdie this hole. I'm just going through my golf process. But that number came into my head again, and uh, I didn't hit a great shot. I hit a, an okay shot, but I left myself on the green about 50 feet from that hole, 45 feet, and it's a big uphill, breaking, hard right, and I just hit a horrible putt about 15 feet. I'm not exaggerating. You it, hit it, it would 15 be feet from by the hole. Oh, okay, got it. Yeah. Not five feet, not three feet. <laughs> I had a 50 almost foot hit putt. it off. I hit a fifty foot putt. Only hit it fifteen, hit 15 feet. feet. I hit it sixty five <laughs> feet. Got it. I'm almost almost off the green. That's how bad this putt was. Ouch. And then I then I had a fifteen footer that I almost sank. I didn't. And momentarily, I wasn't disappointed that I didn't shoot sixty nine because I shot seventy. Decent score. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I was disappointed in myself from the mental standpoint that I couldn't overcome those thoughts. But I immediately thought, you know what? You're just going to have to get used to this because it's going to happen again. Absolutely. It's going to happen again. And the more it happens, the better you'll be able to. And I gave myself an instant pass, but I was, it stung. Oh, of course. I was pissed off, you know, not outwardly, but I was pissed. I thought, oh, come on, Howard. But then on the way home, I was thinking, you know what? You know, good for you to get in that position again. And I felt good about it. But it took me a bit to kind of go, what, did, what do I need to know about that? Mm-hmm. And it's just, I guess I bring it up again because I like to reveal like when things don't go great because there's something in that. And I, and I know that as I get more comfortable with those numbers, it'll just, that'll melt away. I won't be thinking about it as much. Because for 17 holes, I really didn't think about it. Mm-hmm. I was under par in the front and I was under par for most of the day. But there you go. I gagged it up again. Just like... Me many many times, and whether it's someone trying to, you know, as I said, to beat their obnoxious brother-in-law for the first right. time, and I didn't. Or your personal best. Yeah, didn't break. You know, didn't break a hundred. You had that chance to do it ninety, whatever. But every time you're in that territory, you get just a little. You strip a little piece of the onion skin off, and a little bit more. Uh, just you know, I'm here, and whatever degree of anxiety you have, it'll be a little bit less because you've been in this territory a little bit and you just learn a little bit more about it and it's like you know you play this you improve in this game by increments inch by inch by inch so you're getting more and more used to being in that area of shooting you know under par and in the in the 60s um it's the same way when a golfer just starts to flirt with say breaking 90 breaking 80 you're in that zone you it's getting your reps in it's that old thing i say it so many times, but there's no other way to do it. That's right. Is is you have to be experienced. Well, and that's why I thought of you. It's like getting your reps in, whether you're breaking a hundred for the first time or you know ninety. I always tell people, you know, when they ask me about breaking their, you know, whether it's breaking eighty, I say, you know, you watch. If you've never broken eighty before, usually you'll do it. It won't be seventy nine. It'll be seventy six. Because it's like you'll just be so far beyond your, you know, your personal best. It just won't matter. You'll, you'll, you know, no matter what you do in the last hole, people tend to break that barrier by quite a bit. It seems, in my experience, has been, mm-hmm. you know, at that level. You know, it's breaking 70, maybe 69. But although, you know, what am I saying? I shot, you know, way under my personal best 
No, it doesn't matter. I'm just babbling now. No, but there's interesting things to just look babbling. at there. But well, one tired. thing was, yeah, well, been you, broadcasting for hours. Yeah, but you saw yourself as a scratch golfer. Yes, you know, and and it's it's not unlike uh, say players in the PGA Tour. They get a couple of uh, they got some you know regular tour events. They've won, then they win a major. And now they're at a different level, and they got to make sure they keep it there. So they see another instructor, they yeah. start working on things, and now they're so aware so of where they're at, and it just goes into the dumper. Well, it did with me. You yeah. know, my best summer of golf as a younger man was the summer of 1997. I played in the uh, Canadian Amateur, the Ontario Amateur, and I won the club championship at the National. 1998, my worst year ever. Get it? Yeah, worst year of golf ever. But if you listen to all that good stuff on this show, there was a brilliant stuff. So I'm just trying to make sure we end on a happy note. And if you really like this show, you go to iTunes and you you write a nice review and yeah. all of that. Come on. Do it. Brought to you by TaylorMade, number one driver in golf. Uh, there's never been a, t- a better time to switch over to uh, Clublink. My older brother was in town uh, a couple weeks ago. In fact, he was playing with me that day. And, uh, you know, we're lucky here in Ontario. Because we got golf. We still have golf. You can golf today. It's going to be like 15 or 16 yeah, degrees. It's going to be beautiful, yeah. Uh, so enjoy what golf is left. And uh, Tim O'Connor. Tim.O'Connor at O'Connor something. Uh, Tim? O'Connor, yeah, Google me. Google him. Yeah. Google. Google. And golf. his latest e-zine. e-zine. Yeah. Blog posted today. It's very yes. fresh. Very fresh. Fresh blog. So go and look at it. And until next time, good day. Fresh blog. <laughs> so you put cheese on it. But the horns, they blow in that sound. Way on down south.